Hello, 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 and welcome to the Big Hearted Podcast. Today, I have just interviewed the beautiful Catherine Oldfield and Brody Valance from West Coast Family Daycare. They are situated over in WA and were a wonderful support to family daycare educators and services alike through the whole free childcare package that we lived through last year and it was such a great conversation to have with the girls. So they're business partners, they are passionate childcare providers. They're passionate about creating a safe and positive culture within West Coast Family Daycare Service for the children, educators and their staff. They value respectful relationships, honesty, inclusive practices and ethical decision-making processes. So they build relationships based upon compassion, have a progressive attitude to continual improvement and staying up to date with industry knowledge. Communication between their service educators and families respects and reflects the service's diverse practices, values and beliefs. So their collaborative environment supports their values in being a service that has open communication between families, educators and services. So children and their families are supported and comfortable through the entirety of their childcare journey at West Coast Family Daycare. So we had such a great conversation this afternoon. We covered so much ground. So Brody has written a beautiful program, or not program, but Indigenous culture perspectives that family daycare educators can apply within their services. So we talk a lot about that today and we reviewed quite a bit of what happened last year through the free childcare package and the influence and the great impact that they had through that process. So I hope you enjoy this conversation. If you want to get in touch with the girls, you can do so. All the information is in our show notes. So sit back, relax, enjoy, and I look forward to hearing your feedback on this podcast. We'll see you soon. Hello, hello, and welcome to the Big Hearted Podcast. My name is Victoria Edmund and I am your host. Our aim here at the Big Hearted Podcast is to nurture a community of heart-centred educators to change the perception and delivery of early childhood education and care in Australia and ultimately around the world. We want you to be inspired by our guests and the topics we bring to you to think of new ways of being as an educator. We want you to feel a sense of belonging via this podcast so that you can engage any time of the day or night in any place that suits you. We want you to become an educator that delivers education from the heart, as we believe this is how we create great change within our world. So join us as we discover new ways to inspire each other here on the Big Hearted Podcast. Today, we have Brody and Catherine from West Coast Family Daycare, all the way over, you might have guessed, on the West Coast of Australia. So I met these two beautiful girls last year through the whole free childcare debacle, and we're going to talk about what these girls did just in a minute. But right now, I would love to introduce you to our friend Brody and to our friend Catherine. And maybe I can get you girls to just quickly tell us a little bit about how you met, why you started West Coast Family Daycare and where you're going with your business. We met at the gym. Mm -hmm. (laughs) We were fabulous and fit with young daughters and we met at the gym and then we realised we live on the same street and so we would hang out and take the kids to the school at the park. And, and the friendship blossomed. And, yeah, we just became really firm friends, which was really nice. And then I was doing some odd paperwork for family daycare educator that had my daughter. And one day in Catherine's kitchen I was like, you did family daycare? Mm-hmm. I'm doing this could we and she was like could we so we started a business yeah and we were supporting family daycare services going in and I wouldn't say overhauling but working with them and taking them from 
here to here. Mm-hmm. And then we sort of thought, yeah. so we started West Coast Family Daycare Services. Yeah. So my background, I've worked in early childhood since I was 15. Wow. I just always something that I wanted to do is mm-hmm. work with children. And I went out into it after I think year 11, I finished. And it just, it's what I've always done. I have floated in and out. I've traveled across Australia, working in lots of different centers through the NT and did a little bit up in North Queensland and Cairns for a while. And then I came back to Perth and I did family daycare for a couple of years as an educator. And then, yeah, like Brody said, one thing sort of led to another and it's developed into something that we didn't necessarily anticipate at the time, but it all made sense as we went along. Yeah, it's been really fun. It's been a really fun journey. It's been really, really challenging. Yeah, we've learned so much. We really, really have. And it's been like this roller coaster through everything we've, the industry has experienced in the last two years, but we're in a really Mm. good place and we're really excited. So when did you actually start your West Coast FDC? So we received 2019. The day my son was born. Oh, wow. Wow. That's huge. That's huge. So was that at the beginning or towards the end of 2019? I'm just trying to gauge how. Okay. Yeah. Awesome. So you had a good couple of months before the crazy of last year started. So, and it's really crucial. Like people, I don't think understand the level of the responsibility that falls upon your shoulders when you actually run a service, when you are responsible at the end of the day financially for what's going on and for people who you don't even have, like it's different in a centre because you could be a director and have your ear out or you can be walking past and just see things that may be happening that you just go, oh, that's probably not the best practice. Let's have a chat about that and really investigate that. Like you have to have this massive level of trust in your team and they have to have it in you too and every other educator within their service. So to start, it would have been, oh, horrific to just start and then have last year happen. There were services that closed down through that, understandably, last year. Because it was so difficult. So for anybody that's listening that doesn't know, Brody and Catherine actually created a national survey and collected a whole heap of information. Do you recall how many people responded to that survey? Like roughly? Um, Do we have about 40,000 signatures? Yeah, we got over 40,000 signatures to the initial open the petition and we did a survey for educators to complete of how they were financially impacted Mm. yeah due to the crp package yeah sorry yeah (laughs) good speaking proper terms and that was then used we sent that off to politicians mcgowan mark mcgowan wrote back to us (laughs) the prime minister dan tian the minister for women and the minister for mental health every politician that we could think of received the information we developed a report based on all of that data as well and we shared that with family daycare australia Family Daycare WA, anybody who wanted access to it could have access to it just so we could get the word out of what was actually happening within our sector rather than free childcare, hooray. It was, okay, let's actually show you what free childcare means. And it was quite moving Going through the numbers and the data from the survey, I was in tears writing Mm. this report because people were saying to us, I've been in hospital, I'm so sick with the stress or Mm. I've had to close my business or or, I haven't slept in three months. The physical impact and the mental health impact on it was just, I don't think anybody could have predicted that. And, And that's why we really took it to people like the Minister for Mental Health and the Minister for Women's Affairs and things like that because we thought this is such an oversight, yet we're we're charged with still caring for all of our Australia's youngest and most precious people and yet we're really, really suffering here and nobody's seen that. Yeah. 
And I think it's really valuable to come from the people because I know with the surveys that went out from the government around how they were handling it and and all that sort of stuff, and some educators wouldn't be aware of this because it was just some of them would just have been going to services, is that there was no way to answer some of those surveys without making the government look good. It, and, right. and it's very clever. They use these wordsmiths that paint this picture so that it didn't matter how you answered it. It painted their response to everything in a really positive light. And some of it was good and some of it just really missed the mark. And I know through the page that I started that there were so many people struggling and suffering, the suffering that happened through that whole period and it's continuing now has just been extraordinary. There was no other industry that was required to work and then had its wage and its income just stripped away overnight. Overnight, we as a service, brand new service, we lost 68.4% of our income like that. And we had educators who in that fortnight, that the reference period for what we got paid for, one just started, she had no enrolments, and another educator didn't work because she had a 20-week stillbirth. Really teary, but... Yeah. She felt like she was being punished. The, the impact that it had is so different for so many people. And, yes, some people benefited. And like you say, it's really important to note the questions and the way that were worded with the government surveys were so weighted mm. in their favour. And then they would come out and say, well, 99% of services are, are benefiting, yet we weren't able to say we weren't benefiting because... Yeah. In their eyes, if we were receiving business continuity payment, we were benefiting. It was not a benefit to anybody within our service. It was really, really heavily weighted questions. So when you girls sent that out, I remember just going, oh, yes, and pushing it and saying, please respond, respond, share this, share this with your families, your services, other educators that may not be in this page, like, respond to this survey because the questions were intelligent like they were like just asking real things like what you would ask someone on the street because that's what needed to be that information was what needed to be out there and departments needed to see that not that they would ever pay any attention to it because I just feel like sometimes once that train starts rolling, it's really hard to stop it. And I understand they had to make decisions and they had to make them really quickly. And they're not going to make decisions looking necessarily at family daycare because we are such a small sector. However, in saying that, we're such a small part of our profession, but in saying that, I really feel like family daycare kept the nation afloat like the contribution that family daycare educators made to families and business was phenomenal and it still hasn't been recognized in its full magnitude we have the ability to care for those as they were being referred to frontline workers nurses doctors paramedics shift work daycare centers can't do that family daycare is the option that does that the educator that I mentioned who had opened her family daycare during that reference fortnight so she didn't earn very much it was a pittance she was full and had a wait list because she got all the nurses and doctors children in her area so she was working an extraordinary amount and earning this tiny little bit it just didn't add up It's pretty disgusting, I know. Look, and the way the cookie crumbled was we had an educator who was full and came from another service to us in that reference. We had several educators on holidays. So it was the applications for grants and things like that was so far behind. And then they were there were so many, I can't remember the percentages now, but there were so many that were denied for no reason like a number of times and we just kept resending 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 we right up until the very last day when it all ended in the July we were submitting reapplications because 
we just we were like jumping up and down my mum used to call it an ant dance I was doing an ant dance just to make everybody Mm. see and hear this isn't going to be approved again but listen to me listen to me listen to me here's all the times that I am putting this in through the proper channels and the workload that services had to do through that whole period Mm -hmm. I mean I felt for my team I really did like it was just phenomenal they were asked to continue working for weeks and weeks, despite knowing if they were going to be eligible for JobKeeper, like all these unknown things, yeah. and they just muscled up and soldiered on. And it was phenomenal to see. And they just provide things that they were providing prior. That's you know, right. they weren't allowed to say, well, I'm not getting paid for six weeks. I can't afford to buy nappies. We weren't allowed to do that. The government told us that we had to provide the same service that we were providing prior to all of this but we didn't allowed to refuse care we had on new enrollment so we were paid based of a, a reference fortnight which in the instance of those educators who couldn't work or didn't work in that time they had no enrollments so they're getting paid for no enrollments yet They're not allowed to say, no, I'm not earning enough money to provide that care. They had to take it on. Yeah. Yeah, it was fun times. Every now and then when we get an email from Desi, we go... Fully. Every time I see that email, you do, you you take a breath, you clench a bit and you're just like, oh gosh, what Um, now? I know New South Wales in Victoria, Victoria was the longest lockdown city in the world. I cannot imagine what these educators and the children have experienced. I just went and visited an educator of mine, just visiting team that I haven't visited for a while. We've had a change within our management And I visited this educator and she just said for the last three months, her entire group has just had this, and we're in Queensland, so they've just had this massive offloading of tension and stress from the children. And she just said, I just had to pretty much just sit down and realise that this was sole work that I was having to do with the children in terms of just being so present with whatever was coming up for these children because, you know, that level of tension, even though they may not be experiencing it, they are taking that into their souls and they have to process that. Now, I struggled processing all of the things that happened. And I have 42 years worth of life skills. Mm -hmm. These children have two or three years worth of skills up their sleeve. And like, are they really even ready to process Mm -hmm. any of the last two years? I don't think so. So now the next thing that we're going to have to work with, and another one of my team actually has new babies that have just started. They're all about 18 months old. And she just said they're the most unsettled children entering care that she's ever experienced as an educator. And she's been doing this for decades. And she was like, these parents, they're COVID babies because the parents are saying to me that they've not seen family members. They've just been at home. And anytime we went out, everybody was masked. So they're not seeing facial expressions. They're not experiencing family time and having these connections with people other than their two primary caregivers if they're lucky enough to have two. And so when they're going into care, these children, like, freaked out, like, completely and utterly just had no ability to build another connection with somebody Mm -hmm. else because it's just been that internal family unit so as educators we now have to look that as we move forward we are going to be wearing the brunt of this next wave of immediate things to come after COVID so it's something to really be mindful and aware of. With COVID has always been the impact it has had and does have and will have on everybody is so varied and unpredictable yeah one could Mm. predict that the movies would ever be shut down nobody would have ever thought that so those people would never have thought they could lose their jobs but then 
kids that work at Coles would never have thought that I'm a frontline worker and I'm copying all of this pressure and panic buying kid working in the shops it it was just unfathomable and unpredictable and and it's coming out in all these varied ways recently we went away obviously not interstate we went down south and my son who's two and a half he was homesick and he was so forlorn the whole time and then we realized he's never been away from home for an extended period of time he's so happy in his little environment which is his house because that's where he's existed and that's all he knows and that's his comfort zone yet a daughter she grew up going away for the weekend and this that and the other and she just loves it so it's very minor but it's just another example he is so attached to this very small environment And it was obviously causing him anxiety to be away from that. Isn't that that interesting? And it's something for us as services and educators Mm -hmm. to be aware of that the scope of experience these children have had has been so like lessened Mm. that's terrible English Victoria but it has impacted yeah reduced immensely and it's going to have an impact and we as educators have to have that compassion in our hearts for the children and sometimes especially next year when we're going to get a whole some educators are going to get cohorts of new children in their services you might end up with four brand new children on one day and it's just going to be for some children a traumatic experience so it's really great to be aware that sort of thing is going to be happening within our profession and to be able to work with these children but also as an educator putting your self-care and self-care isn't like having a bath like yeah that's lovely but really being aware and tuning into what's happening for you and how you need support and knowing that that's going to come and putting these things in place now so that you're ready and prepared so yeah it's so interesting isn't it and I think there's going to be lots of probably studies that come out of this and all that kind of thing but I just really want to tip my hat to you girls because what you did for our profession and for having our voice heard in such a meaningful way was just awesome and I was so stoked that you guys did it because it really over and above what anybody would have ever expected and grateful to have met you and and made those connections with so many other service providers it Mm. was we really needed to be together and to stick together on that and there was a lot of service providers over here in WA who were linked into local governments who were gagged. They, they couldn't speak. Couldn't they couldn't anything. do anything. So a real sense of responsibility to share the voices mm. of. And I'm sure you, Victoria, had so many phone calls of women across oh. the country to oh. say, what do we do? I can um, remember waking up one morning to, I think it was over 160 or 190 messages like just in one night, I, I got up the next morning and I was like, whoa, that's a lot. How do you process? And it was just women pouring their hearts out, yeah. just going, what do I do? And I understood both sides of the coin because I know services, there would have been services that were just so overwhelmed and they didn't know what to do and they'd rather not say anything than put their foot in it. But that didn't help the educators. And then there were also services that would message me and educators that would message me from the same place. Yeah. <laughs> One would say, my service is telling me this and the service would say, I'm telling the girls this. Yeah. And there was just this, like, people were hearing what they wanted to hear and they were in this state of overwhelm. And so the communication became really, really important. And for us to have grace for each other was really important too. So I think it's had a positive impact on family daycare as a whole, because now we've met a whole heap of people, like all the girls from Inspired and Dawn from Coburn and like, oh, there's just so many people. Katrina, Katrina, like, and the amazing work that people were doing and we just 
banded together and we came together in solidarity for all being in this because we were in the same storm and we were kind of in a similar set of boats like everyone's circumstances were different but we're experiencing the same thing and it was so beneficial to come together because yeah like now I could travel around Australia now I reckon and just like party on in every <laughs> with so many educators and service providers and it would just it would be so I was really looking forward to doing that this year yeah <laughs> what was I thinking yeah so hopefully next year <laughs> <laughs> yeah so but one of the things that like we had many conversations over that time and and we actually talked about our services and the things that we're doing and I was so impressed with the Indigenous representation that you have within your service and that's why I actually wanted to have you on the podcast because I really loved the things that you were talking about and what you're instilling within your educators and the children and how you do this with such authenticity. Can you share a little bit with us around or a lot with us around mm-hmm. what you're doing specifically in your service because it's such valuable work oh thank you that's so nice to hear and it's nice that as a service provider this is something that's really really important to what we do and what our educators do it has to be woven through absolutely everything we do because it's what we stand for and I actually got stuck in in the midst of that pre-child care storm needed a distraction And I needed something real and I needed something beautiful and beneficial to sink my teeth into while dealing with all of that. And this is something that was always going to happen with West Coast, but it also came out of that storm, hence us chatting about it way back when. feels like a lifetime ago. It does. So embedding Indigenous perspectives is a really big player at West Coast. I'm very passionate about it and have always been And I'm really grateful to find myself in a position where, one, I get to learn as an Australian woman and as an Australian citizen about the true history of my country, Mm. the good, the bad and the ugly. Mm. I get to learn also about contemporary Australia and I'm we are in a position with our educators where we get to ensure that our young children, Indigenous and non-Indigenous, are learning about culture, through culture, and it's woven into everything they do. It's not put up on a shelf and separated. It's part of the way we are because the value on Indigenous knowledge is completely overlooked in our country. Mm. We have so much to learn and it is so, so valuable and so important and I can go on forever Mm -hmm. and I probably will, but we're starting with our littlest people so that they can grow up, they will know the value, they will ensure that 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 value is woven through their adult lives. Mm. It's recognised where it needs to be recognised and it's celebrated Mm. where it needs to be celebrated. And I think it needs to be celebrated in everyday life. That's why we embed Indigenous perspectives through all of our practices, programming, daily activities, everything. Brody has taught me so much about this. Her knowledge around this is honestly phenomenal. She's, and I'm sure she's only shared with me this tiny little bit. I'm learning all of the time. It's really, really opened my eyes as to what, why it's so important to do. And Brody's been working on this for a long time. And she sort of, at one point, shared this, her challenge around how do I deliver this information? How do we do this? So, sort of with my background of, the really practical side of mm. childcare and what do we, how do we share this with the children? I said, well, we've got to take it back to basics. We've mm. got to bring it right back down to basics. How do we teach a two-year-old about this? Mm. So we had a lot of conversations around her knowledge, knowledge of early childhood and how that can be put together in something. And that really, really sent, and all credit to Brody that she's developed this guide, which is just beautiful. And so so (laughs) it's honestly just amazing. It's everything that you could need to know as an, would want to know as an educator and and how to do it in really really practical ways with young kids. So 
Is this guide available for everybody or is it just for your service? Uh, we're hoping that in the near future it will be. At the moment, I'm wanting to get it reviewed by the Indigenous community. Mm-hmm. I want to make sure that it's appropriate, yeah. that it's relevant, it's respectful. As much as we endeavour for those things to be in this handbook and in our work, we have to make sure that it is by asking, is this correct? Is this yeah. okay? Are we allowed to do this? Mm. So it's we're in the process of that, which is really exciting because maybe we might get to add to it or we're going to learn maybe we've done that bit wrong. So the purpose of it, I was really, really stuck. I was like, how do I? And so it became... It became from a small guide to a really meaty, in-depth, practical step-by-step handbook for educators. So I've done a lot of professional development and I will never stop that. Part of the curriculum club, I do their webinars, their training. If they offer something, our hands are up. We want want to learn. That's just one but they're fantastic. So I'd recommend every educator jump on their Facebook page, check out their website as a place to start because also we didn't want to be giving information to our educators that wasn't backed up, that wasn't like it's referenced. Yeah, wow. So I've referenced it so that people can go and find for themselves and learn for themselves, hear it from the horse's mouth because we're not experts and I'm not Indigenous, but yeah. I know the importance of this. Yeah. And there's protocols, et cetera, that we should yeah. all know and understand and follow. Yeah. But, Catherine, you want to learn it, how do I embed Indigenous perspectives in the sandpit? So how would an educator go about doing that? Because I know there's, I know for a lot of people there are, well, within Australia there's 250 countries within Australia alone like some people won't know that some people will know that each country has its own law l-o-r-e it has its own language the own set of customs and things like that and that can be overwhelming for the average joe and and you don't want to do it wrong and you don't want to misappropriate anything and you absolutely don't want to cause offense to anybody and those just those few things can cause people to just go completely stop and they think i'm better off doing nothing yeah we say to all of our educators you're not better off doing nothing because then you're you're doing nothing yeah So we want action, not inaction. Mm. And it's the motivation behind those actions that's important. We let everybody know that if you're wanting to do this for the right reasons, that is the perfect place to start. Mm. You want to do it because you see the value and the importance and the need for it. Yeah. In contemporary Australia, there is such a need for this. Yeah. It wasn't available when we were children. And it should have been available, but we are now in a position to make it available. We have to do this. So let's bloody do it because it's so important. So starting from the right place is the right motivation. I know why I need to do this. I don't know what to do or how to do it, but I want to do it because I know it's right. So learn. Yeah. And it's good for the educators to know, for myself, we can co-learn with the children. Exactly. If, mm. if the children don't know something, they're not going to know something if we don't know it, but that we can learn together. together. And when you accept that that's okay, it feels a lot easier, I think, to go, I'm open to this, I'm going to yeah. do this, yeah. I'm going to ask some questions. Yeah, it's and okay it's, to say, I don't know. Yeah. <gasps> and it's okay for the children to see that you don't know. That's yes. a really important lesson within mm. itself. They're going to see the value in learning. 100%. What we do in early childhood education is we instill in the children a sense of inquiry and a love of learning to set yeah. them up for life. Yeah. And they're going to see grown-ups wanting to learn. Yeah. So fantastic. Yeah. It never stops. Love learning with grown-ups. Yes. 
100%. Look, I run the essential elements. So we have a, a course, an online course that educators can join. One of the things that we talk about is intentional teaching and the importance of intentional teaching. And there's been a bit of a sway away from intentional teaching. It's almost become a bit of a dirty word or practice in the spontaneous learning and child-led learning. There is 100% a need for intentional teaching and intentional teaching comes in many different forms. So it can be how you set your environment up. It could be that you have a specific task or skill set that you want to teach the children. Could be that you're tracking the milestones and you're wanting to make sure the children, so you set things up specifically for that, blah, blah, blah. There's also intentional teaching, which is asking open-ended questions. Mm -hmm. And it's like, also another style of intentional teaching is exactly what you're saying is where it's beside intentional teaching so you learn beside each other so you the adult have the skills and the knowledge to be able to source the information that you then bring to the children so that's also part of the EYLF of intentional teaching and a lot of people skip over that because it's the whole child-led movement but this is the perfect opportunity and sometimes I wonder too like if educators Sometimes think, oh, I've done my diploma, that's it, I don't need to do anything else. That's actually not not true. You really have to keep yourself current. And like I used to like to choose. I didn't know how to sew. I learned how to sew and that was a skill then that I started imparting onto the children. All the children knew how to sew when they left my service. Gardening, I sort of started the process of gardening and teaching the children how to garden. All the children knew how to garden by the time they left my service. So for me, the next part of the process would have been looking at Indigenous perspectives because I don't know enough about it myself personally. And so for me, it's like, oh, that's such a juicy topic to be able to really learn about. And as an educator, you need to have a level of understanding within yourself first And then you can start imparting that with the children and learning more as you go. So how would you suggest that someone would go about making contact with their local Indigenous services? Go on on an Indigenous tour around your local area. You're going to meet in Perth. It would be you're going to meet a a Noongar person and they're going to give you information. Talk to them. Tell them who you are, why you want to know. And just start a conversation. Part of the way I've written this handbook as well is I've put in, did the dark emu in the sky, did that the fifth star in the Southern Cross is actually formally named with its Indigenous name in recognition of the ancient astrology that we have in Australia. It's the oldest astrology in the world. Did Aboriginal Australians were the world's first bakers? They, no. There you go. They no, were. Any of those things. <laughs> they turned grain into flour. They baked their own form of bread. Wow. By teaching or giving these cues to our educators, I want them to become curious and yeah. excited. Whoa, I didn't mm. know that. What else is behind that story? Yeah. Go and I've got... Hundreds of books. Go read this one. What about Dark Emu? Want to learn about agriculture in in Australia, pre-colonial Australia? Read Dark Emu. It's fascinating. We've got the oldest scientific knowledge in the world. We've also got the oldest, longest surviving cultures because there's so many countries in Australia in the world. How cool is that? And we've got so much to learn. Just here in Southwest WA, history goes back 45 to 50,000 plus years. That's just in our little pocket here. It's phenomenal. That's amazing. Considering that we invaded 200 years ago and we think our country is 200 years old. 
it blows my mind and there is a wealth of information and knowledge like an absolute wealth I sit with Auntie Ruby in my area I live on Yugambeh country and I have had Auntie Ruby in my home a number of times and I sit in the grandmother's circle with her which means I just sit and listen to her tell stories and stories and stories and stories and just sitting in her presence is calming and the things that I've learned now the things that I've learned have been about women's ways women's business and it hasn't been about children's business but there is definitely areas for that and people that are very very focused on that I look at my husband my husband's 54 and I look at the attitudes that were acceptable in his era or or vintage for want of a better word And I look at the conversations that my children have with him and they are so vastly different and he's open-minded by all means, but there's things that they pick him up on where he just goes, oh, 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 I didn't realise it came across that way. So there is a shift happening, but we as educators now with the knowledge that we have now and the ability to access this knowledge. Mm. There's no excuses for us not to be implementing this. I don't know about in WA, but in Queensland and New South Wales, we have the inclusion support services. Mm. So services and educators, so educators would have to do it through their service, but they can actually apply for grants to embed these things into their service. So if, if an educator wanted to do a class or a course, there's actually funding there that's available for them to do that so they can embed that within their service so a lot of educators probably don't know about that and that's through the inclusion support services they have I don't know do you have that in WA yeah we do yeah yeah so people can jump on their websites it's obviously a government funded service so they can there's heaps of information and resources and things like that on their websites as well but you hopefully soon will have your handbook out too so if people wanted to follow what you're doing or find out more about what you're doing what's the best way for them to get in contact with you about that well we talk about it quite a bit on our instagram we've got safe stories up there we talk about why we do it our promise which is that we're always going to learn we're always going to listen and we're always going to apologize if we've made a mistake and they can get in touch by email give us a call our website is happy to have a chat so that would be where you tell us what your website is (laughs) (laughs) westcoastfdcs.com.au okay westcoastfdcs so we'll put that in the show notes as well so that people can follow you and when this is around like up and happening we have a little guest in the office Mm -hmm. today it's getting to that time here where normally he will run in the door and jump on me and say let's go for a WALK so yeah so we'll we'll put these in the show notes and we'll also link you guys through our social media as well so if anybody Mm. wants to follow along to you they can do so via that but look is there anything else you want to share with us before we wrap up I talk about being excited and this and that but there is a really serious side to it too And the serious side is that we all have a responsibility to provide cultural safety for Mm. every child in care. That includes Indigenous and non-Indigenous children. And to have an understanding that Indigenous children do not always have access to culturally safe spaces where they can explore their identity, learn about their culture safely, where they feel comfortable to do it. Mm. So that's on us to provide that. Yeah. And that's, again, that's what we talk about. We have big open discussions with all of our educators about that. It's a really important part of what we do in early childhood. Cultural safety, regardless of the culture, yeah. in Australia it's really important that our Indigenous children and their families, that they have cultural safety within our service. Yeah, it's such a huge topic and I don't understand why it's been almost taboo like it's being shadowed or shut down and pushed down and it's so disappointing because we all miss out on that like we just walk through life sometimes with blinkers on and we're so focused on ourselves and I know all of the Indigenous people that I know that I call friends are so community and family orientated and it's not about self everyone's an auntie (laughs) when everyone looks after everybody they have this huge 
overarching network of all their family. And there's so many people that could benefit from that too. And the fact that it's they're quite often demonised and treated poorly and unfairly and have this really old association of they're just not worth anything is so awful and I am really keen to within my own service as well to shift that and change that because the change has to start somewhere and as an educator and a service provider we have the next generation in our hands every single day and have the power and the ability to change perspectives. So you, you really can impart these wonderful morals into children when you're working with them in this perspective and this way. And you will learn yourself too. And the people that I know, they're just beautiful. Like, and the knowledge, the information. When I sat with Auntie Ruby, she'd just been making a women's walk on her property. It was so funny. She was telling a story of Tawny, how her and her husband were creating this walk and right where they were working that day, they looked up and there was Tawny sitting in the tree right above them. And she took that as a sign to say that, yes, we were told that day we were doing the right thing. We were in the right place at the right time and it was a sign, it was a message. So they worked away all day and they thanked Tawny for his guidance. And then the next day they came out and Tawny was no longer there. So she was like, oh, but it was really telling for her. And she shared it. It was so powerful that she shared it. And when we went outside later that day to walk the women's walk, I walked outside and I looked up in the tree and I was like, oh, there's Tawny. And when I look back at Auntie Ruby, she was like looking at me, but she was like, looking through me into my soul and I was like whoa and then everyone was like oh where 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 and then I'm like oh there oh and there's Tawny's friend because they're always in pairs there's Tawny's friend and nobody could see them and Auntie Ruby was just like boring her eyes into me and I was like oh my goodness and was I don't it like oh it kind of it was so intense that it freaked me out a little bit Anyways, as I was pointing to Tawny and the friend, just as I said, oh, they're both there, they both fluffed themselves up right in that minute so that everybody could see them. And Auntie Ruby was like, that's your animal spirit, don't you? And I was like, ha. And it wasn't long after that we moved to this house and there is a family of Tawnies that are in our trees out there they call out to me all the time. When I did family daycare from here, I used to go and the, the children know how to tawny hunt. So we would go every day and look for the tawnies and they knew two-year-olds, three-year-olds, four-year-olds, five-year-olds. I had one of them come trick-or-treating here the other day. Where's Tawny, Tori? <laughs> she hasn't been here for two years. So she remembered and that was something that I've always held really dear there's a different way of looking at the world and yes. it's so beautiful and it's so connected and it's so grounding and it's so heart and soul felt. Why wouldn't we want to be sharing that and learning about that ourselves? The what? connection to country is so important and so amazing when you feel it when you're invited in to feel that it's very very special but the other thing too just learning about these things shows us the value and the importance of the environment mm, huge and looking after what we have so it permeates through everything that we do I've sort of started asking like how are you going to embed some Indigenous perspectives in that because I'm learning everything we do there's a way to embed an Indigenous perspective there's a way to impart some more learning for the educators and the children yeah. it's really 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 cool We've got yeah. the opportunity to learn and to learn alongside the children and to impart some really important knowledge with them and to do some really good work mm. in Australia. So we think it's really important and we are enjoying it. <laughs> we, awesome. We can see that our educators are really enjoying it too. Yeah. 
the children in care are happening really quickly yeah. before our eyes. So yeah, awesome. Yeah, that's magic. That's <laughs> fantastic. Oh, it just excites me. There's so many wonderful things happening within early childhood and I really hope that with our podcast that we can share a lot of that to a great breadth of people because there will be people over here who West Coast Family Daycare, never heard of them. So for us to be able to use this platform to share this information, and it could just be that it plants a little seed and an educator gets inspired and there could be one sentence in this podcast that's just tickled something within them and created an aliveness within them. And hopefully they go and act on that and, mm. you know, start investigating and looking themselves about how they can implement this and where do I get started. So just know that if you need some help, Brody and Catherine are happy to assist you in that process if they can and point you in the right direction. There's also the Curry curriculum as well, which you mentioned we've featured them in our iMag earlier this year. That's our online magazine for anybody who hasn't seen or read that. So yeah, there's lots of opportunities. It just has to come from you. There has to be a fire within you to want to jump on there and start fanning those flames. And it doesn't take much. And once it gets going, then it's just all encompassing. And I think there's so many gifts available for people, like you say, connecting to country and but learning different ways. I know there's a lot of educators that are like, oh, I've got such a crappy yard and, you know, I can't do anything with it, blah, blah, blah. But if you can look from an Indigenous perspective and seeing actually how the environment is around you and working with it as opposed to against it, there's ways to be creative and bring things into your space. So, yeah, super, super cool. Well, thank you, girls, so much for your thank time you. today. We will probably have you on again at some point. <laughs> and, yeah, as soon as your information is available, your book is available, let us know because we'll put it out there so people can find it too and we can update the show notes. So if you're listening in 12 months from now, I'm sure it'll be available. So the notes will probably be in there on how you can get your hands on that book. So, uh, yeah, thank you so much. I really appreciate your time today and we will talk again soon. And thank you, Victoria. Talking to you, we are just, it's always such a blessing. We love you. We admire you. You're an icon in this industry. (laughs) You're just amazing. Thank you very much. Thank you. How I feel about that. But uh, I just, (laughs) all I did was read the pages. (laughs) (laughs) All I did. (laughs) Where credit is due. Yeah, for sure. (laughs) Thanks, girls. Thank you. All right. We'll talk again soon. Thank you. Hi, friend. Thank you so much for joining us today. I hope you got a lot out of today's episode. When we work on our own, we can sometimes be in a silo. So having new perspectives and different ways of looking at things is vitally important for the growth of our individual selves and our professional selves as well. We love feedback, so if you felt compelled to share what you thought of today's podcast, we would love to read your thoughts. You can leave us a review on Apple Podcast. That helps our podcast to get out to the wider community. And the more that hear what we have to share, we think the better it is. Thanks so much, friend. We'll see you next time. Till then, big love.